This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it toward its true principles of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, March 6, 2022. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In this short episode, I'll say a few words about the concept of righteous indignation, but first I have an announcement from the League of Women Voters. To vote in the April municipal elections, get registered now. Deadline to register here in Missouri is March 9th. That's this coming Wednesday, so hurry up. Check out your own state for its deadlines to register. Request your absentee ballot now if you'll not be able to vote in person on election day. The League of Women Voters of Metro St. Louis wants every voice to be heard in elections and is here to help. If you have questions about elections, how to register, or how to request an absentee ballot, ask the League. You can contact the St. Louis chapter of the League of Women Voters at lwvstl.org or call the League Voter Hotline at 314-961-6869. Hey, there's no time like the present, so do this right away. Another quick announcement, if you'd like to be a guest on this podcast or know of someone that would like to be a guest, please contact us via email at info at democracyonthemove.org. We look for people who are doing extraordinary things for democracy. That's democracy with a small d. We'd also like to hear from you if you just want to vent your opinion on topics we cover at the podcast or perhaps to suggest new topics. A couple of weeks ago, we talked with Dr. Michael Carson, who teaches at the University of Denver's Graduate School of Professional Psychology. We talked about wokeism, and I have to say this concept really hit me square in the head like a two-by-four. Why the shock over wokeism? Well, because I always thought of people who were against racism as genuinely concerned with the fate of the human race. And this fate doesn't look so good if we're all intolerant of each other. As our population grows, the world shrinks, and we're all drawn closer and closer over time. It's no longer just about being a member of a tribe, because the size of your tribe is expanding to include your community, your state, your nation, and ultimately the entire world. It truly is a worldwide tribe in a sense. Things that happen on the other side of the world have a direct impact on our daily lives. Just watch how our gasoline prices climb as the war in Ukraine escalates. It would appear that intolerance lies at the root of a lot of our problems, but where does this intolerance come from? What can be done about it? And in the case of wokeism, what's up with the idea that some have become intolerant of intolerant people? When we talked with Dr. Carson a couple of weeks ago, we discussed people's natural tendency to be intolerant and to turn that intolerance into violence. Now, why do we have this tendency? And who do we fight? Well, we fight those that don't look like us or those that don't agree with our opinions, or those who are in a different class, or those that present competition for limited resources. From my conversation with Dr. Carson, it appears that much of our propensity to fight is baked into our human psyche. It's part of who we are. I'm not excusing racism, but coming to grips with the dark side of humanity is perhaps the first step that each individual must take in order to rise above the primitive instincts 
and commit to working together toward the ultimate goal of mutual survival. Call me naive, but I've always believed that humans are capable of doing this. But here's the thing. You can't simply jettison your racist tendencies. It is with us. It is part of who we are. In a sense, all people are created equal in that regard. So any attempt at becoming an anti-racist person is, in itself, a sort of racism all of its own, because an anti-racist person will distinguish him or herself from others. This creates separation, and this is the paradox that creates the anti-racist racist. So what does this have to do with wokeism? Well, forgive me if I don't get this right, as I'm still learning, but from what I'm beginning to understand is that the word woke was turned around to mean something quite different than its original intent. It was originally intended to refer to a person who is aware of racial differences and can feel and, and perhaps even exhibit a sense of empathy. But somewhere along the line, the term woke began to be applied to people who took anti-racist action with a sense of righteousness. To those people, it was no longer sufficient to have empathy, but it became necessary to force others to feel and act on empathy. Well, that just doesn't work. I mean, you can't force someone to have empathy any more than you can force a child to like Brussels sprouts. And this inconvenient fact seems to have driven woke individuals to fall back onto their natural human tendency to fight. As radicalized woke individuals, they latched onto a sort of just cause, or what seemed like a just cause. That is, something to fight for with a sense of righteousness. Now, there's a term that captures this sense of righteousness that feeds a just cause. It's called righteous indignation. Look it up. It's in Wikipedia. The first paragraph reads, Quote, righteous indignation is typically a reactive emotion of anger over perceived mistreatment, insult, or malice of another. It is akin to what is called the sense of injustice. In some Christian doctrines, righteous anger is considered the only form of anger which is not sinful. For example, when Jesus drove the moneylenders out of the temple, as described in Matthew 21, unquote. In my observation, righteous indignation is like a powder keg with a lit fuse. When it blows up, it will hurt a lot of people, many of whom are collateral damage. People get hurt who aren't actually guilty, or the degree to which these so-called guilty people are hurt far exceeds a fair sense of justice. The tools of the woke activists can range anywhere from a public shaming to the so-called cancel culture to outright violence. <laughs> can you imagine that? Someone committing violence against people who commit violence because they're committing violence. So I have to ask the obvious question, where does this cycle of fighting end? Well, I don't have an answer to that question, but let me point out the obvious result. Ultimately, it becomes self-defeating. Because here's the thing, nothing solidifies the opposition as effectively as being attacked. Woke activists, by attacking their perceived enemies, have solidified them. And once the opposition is solidified, it fights back using the only tools at its disposal by intensifying its bad behavior. Now, we see this happening on scales large and small. A recent example on a large scale is in the U.S. invasion of Iraq, which breathed life into ISIS, increasing terrorism throughout the Middle East. We might well see it playing out in Ukraine, where Vladimir Putin's apparent objective is to increase security in the face of an expanding NATO presence, in the long run, assuming Ukraine survives, 
it will ultimately become battle-hardened and be more likely to join NATO and pose an increasing security threat against Russia. So on a smaller yet not insignificant scale, woke activists are likely to learn the same lesson. So instead of asking how does it all end, let me ask this. How can it end? How can we achieve racial equality and peace at the same time? In my discussion with Dr. Carson, I learned that the only way to truly win the hearts and minds of people is to reach out to them. Tear down the wall that separates you and creates an us and them mentality. With the wall down, you begin to see your so-called enemies as real people with values and hopes and goals that are not so different from your own. And seeing your opponents as humans, you begin to reach a common ground upon which you can make agreements and achieve cooperation. So why is this not done? Why don't we have outreach efforts to bring people together and provide a sense of mutual goodwill and trust? Well, the inconvenient truth is that it's hard work because it takes effort and patience and willingness to show empathy with people that initially seem deplorable. It takes you as an individual to set aside some of your time and spend some emotional energy to make an effort. Yes, it's hard, but it is work that must be done. If you're wondering where to begin, check out an organization called Braver Angels. It's a national citizens movement whose purpose is to bring liberals and conservatives and others together at the grassroots level and to meet in groups face to face. Nothing is more effective than having a beer with a group of people and feeling free to discuss your concerns openly and honestly in a non-threatening environment and listen to each other. Practice those empathy muscles. It's a way to reach out, to go beyond the shallow stereotypes and form community alliances that reduces the vitriol. Braver Angels has chapters all over the U.S. You can contact them through their website at braverangels.org. Braver Angels is all one word, braverangels.org. Or for more information, on our podcast last October 22nd, we talked with Dennis Eckert, who participates in Braver Angels. You can get his perspectives on the group and what it feels like to participate. On another note, if you've listened to the podcast over the past year or so, you probably have heard a lot about the various organizations that are doing some great work to help ensure our democracy. I like to talk with people from these groups because I believe individual action is what democracy demands of all of its citizens. One such organization is called Move to Amend. Way back in December of 2020, we talked with Caitlin Saposi Belknap, director of Move to Amend. You may want to check them out. You can find them at movetoamend.org, all one word, movetoamend.org. The organization is dedicated to bringing about a constitutional amendment, our 28th, that intends to render moot the Citizens United Supreme Court decision of 2010. In a nutshell, the Citizens United ruling said that corporations are people insofar as the First Amendment freedom of speech is concerned. As people, corporations can contribute to any political action committee or PAC any amount of money they want. It has a direct influence on politicians because they know that they're basically getting free airtime and free social media advertisements and free press paid for by corporate dollars via a PAC. The tacit understanding is that politicians abdicate for the interest of corporations that run the PACs instead of advocating for the interests of their constituents. If a politician doesn't want to play the game and refuses to advocate for a corporate interest, well, the PAC money will just go to their opponent in the next primary. That conscientious politician will therefore soon be out of a job, replaced by someone who's willing to play the game. 
after just a few election cycles, virtually all the politicians are on the take, and the constituents lose. This year, at every opportunity I talk to any politician, such as last week when we talked to Marcus Flowers, I bring up move to amend and try to get them to consider sponsoring the amendment. The amendment has been codified in the House Joint Resolution 48, or HJR 48. Google it and check it out. The first two sentences of Section 1 sum it up nicely. Quote, The rights protected by the Constitution of the United States are the rights of natural persons only. Artificial entities such as corporations, limited liability companies, and other entities established by the laws of any state, the United States, or any foreign state, shall have no rights under this Constitution and are subject to regulation by the people through federal, state, or local law, unquote. Now, I'm personally excited to see this move through the amendment process. If you get a chance to talk with your senator or representative, please consider bringing up this effort to get rid of Citizens United. Better yet, email your congressperson or call them on the phone. If you're curious about the organization itself, consider listening to the podcast where we talk with Caitlin, the director of MoveToAmend.org. You'll have to dig back in history a bit. Our interview with Caitlin aired on December 20th of 2020. And I personally really enjoyed the discussion with her because I was surprised to learn that the movement toward considering corporations as people is nothing new. It's been going on for well over 100 years. Anyway, check them out, movetoamend.org. They're looking for volunteers and donations. We haven't had a constitutional amendment since the 27th Amendment was ratified in 1992. It was originally written in 1789, by the way. Amendments are the mechanism by which our Constitution remains alive during changing times. So if you participate in making this amendment a reality, you're taking direct part in the long, proud history of democracy in our nation. Well, that's it for this episode. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its true principles of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to sponsor future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Rey Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you tune in again next week.